This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. You're live with me, Holly Kingmand, and today we are talking about colour blindness. Have you ever taught a child who is colour blind, and how did you best support them? We'll be talking to Steve Anthony to find out. Grab a cup of tea, get ready for the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everybody, welcome, welcome back to my show. So it's been a whole week since I've been here bringing you those um, interesting teaching and education conversations outside of those um, CPD topics and things that, that we, well, so deeply need, but just to give us a little bit of variety on, on what, what it is that we're covering. So last week I spoke to you about financial education in the classroom and and spoke to some really interesting guests. We have Dr. Nikki Ramskill, known as the female money doctor from Channel 4, um, as well well as Sarah Peretta um, from the Money and Pension Service about resources and techniques and and evidence-based research um, for teaching um, financial education in the classroom. And this week we switch over to talking about colour blindness. Now this is not something that I had given myself any thought to before in my teaching career. It's not something I really knew anything about and really the only thing I could think of was going back maybe six or seven years ago, probably is a little bit more than that, uh, where there was a, a dress or trainers or something, a picture that was circulating in social media and some people thought it was white and grey and some people thought it was turquoise and pink and, and everyone had a different idea of what colour this item was and that's the only thing that I could think of. And then fast forward to June when I was involved in um, a really lovely, actually really lovely Jubilee event for the National Literacy Trust and I got to meet author children's award-winning I should say (laughs) award-winning illustrator and author Steve Anthony and I found out that he was colorblind and I thought what an interesting job to have for somebody who's colorblind he's an illustrator he's got wonderful picture books children love his books they've got lovely bright colors on the cover at least and we'll talk more about that later um and it got me thinking, how does colour blindness work? How does it work in the classroom? How does it work for those that experience it? How can we best support them? How is it going to prevent them from accessing the things in our classrooms, life? And so it was always on my list of things to cover on a show to find out a bit more about colour blindness and uh, get some first-hand stories and find some sort of tangible, practical things that we could do to make life a little bit better for our colourblind students. So we're, we're very lucky today that Steve Anthony, um, as I said, award-winning illustrator, has joined us to talk about his experience of being colourblind, how it's impacted his career, but also the work that he's done in schools and, and how 
schools and teachers can best support those students. So without further ado, here's Steve. And I'm joined by Steve now. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, Holly. No, it's, it's, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure. Um, myself and my children, um, and very much me, are a big fan of, of your books and your illustrations. So uh, it's a bit of a treat to be able to talk to you and, and pick your brain about this, this topic. So why don't you start by telling us about your career as an illustrator and, and how you arrived where you are today? So, I mean, first of all, it's it's really cool to hear that that you that you know about my books. I mean, I it sounds. I mean, I've been doing this for for I don't know. Like uh, my first book was published in two thousand and fourteen, which was the Queen's Hat, and um, I don't know. Maybe it's imposter syndrome or something. But whenever someone says, "Oh, we love your books," or "We like your books," or "We've seen your books," I, I have to say, "Really? <laughs> <laughs> what was the book called?" <laughs> but no, I've been I've been doing this for um uh, well, I've been uh drawing and making up stories for as far back as I can remember ever since I was a kid um but yeah so I, I work full-time now as an author and an illustrator and I've just finished illustrating my well actually I'm just about to start illustrating my 23rd picture book wow so I know it's a, a lot of picture books <laughs> I am um, I generally write and illustrate them um sometimes I just sometimes I I mean, I say just, but it's not. Sometimes I just illustrate them, so I don't. I don't write them. I oh, am, because I've yeah. seen you. You, uh, you and Tim Minchin have worked together recently. Yes. yes. So did yes. he write the the story and you illustrated? Yes. It? It, it, yeah. Yeah, he wrote it. So he wrote the the story is actually it's a song. It's a, and there is a narrative in the song. It's a beautiful song. Um, it's my second time working with Tim Minchin. Um, and the song is, uh, sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty, which I love. I love that title and it's a song from Matilda the Musical which he wrote um, and actually there's going to be a, a, an adapt, um, television adapt, um, sort of, uh, a filmed adaptation coming out of of that um, later okay. in the year on Netflix which I'm looking forward to watching. Yes. But actually I don't know if it is Netflix I could be wrong there. So <laughs> it's, it's coming out later. It's coming Just out look later. out for it in general. <laughs> look out for it in general. Um, so, so yeah so I've been, I've been doing it for a while and um, yeah, I mean, it's something, it's something I really enjoy doing. So 23 uh, books, um, The Queen's Hat probably is the one that people will recognise, um, the Queen's Hat series, and also um, the Please Mr. Panda books. And there there are quite a few books in that series too. And there are there are other ones too, like, you, like you've just mentioned, um, Tim Minchin. And um, I also illustrated Chitty Chitty Bang Bang recently, so which was written by... Originally by Ian Fleming, of course, the writer also of James Bond, um, but it was adapted into a picture book text by Peter Bentley. So that was a recent that was a recent project. Wonderful, and you you also used that to raise some money, if I recall rightly. Did you? Yeah, that's that's right. Well, I am. Um, what I basically did was illustrated a picture of the Queen as she appears in the Queen's hat picture book, um, riding Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, as, as, as the car appears in the new version that I illustrated, I just thought it would be a really fun thing to do in the run-up, and it, it, with all the buzz in the run-up to the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, um, I thought it would be a fun thing to do to not only raise raise money for the um, DEC Ukraine appeal, but also to um, celebrate uh, a, a picture book, a children's books, and one of the most iconic, um, you know, children's book 
characters, Chitty. So I thought it would be a really fun thing to do. So I, I asked the Ian Fleming estate if I if if they would allow me to do that and they were totally on board they're like yeah this is just wonderful go for it so um so we raised just over well at the moment it's it stands at just over a thousand pounds wow congratulations that's that's awesome that really is awesome and just going back to the queen's hat briefly i mean you said to start with that sometimes you might have a bit of imposter syndrome whether people sort of know your books and in the run-up to the jubilee um in my when my girls were both at the same preschool and the preschool leader uh, contacted all of the parents um on the parents whatsapp group and said we really need a copy of the queen's hat for our special <laughs> jubilee event that we're running at preschool we can't get it online for love nor money everyone's bought this book out it's, it's completely sold out everywhere has anybody got a copy and a practically every family said we've got one we've got one <laughs> we've got one so um yeah very very popular book there so bravo for that oh thanks it was really fun in the run-up to the platinum jubilee i mean it's the book came out like i said in 2014 but it, 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 it you know with it being the queen's platinum jubilee there was a lot of interest in 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 material featuring the queen and the, and the queen's hat um book yeah it was used a lot in schools this year which was so so exciting to see it was just so great for me to see and when i create picture books i don't I never really used to think about what would happen after it's published. Um, uh, and I, I didn't really consider how teachers might use my books. And that is one of the things that I learned quite quickly after my first book came out that um, picture books, I mean, I always knew this, but it, I didn't really know just how much teachers do with books until my until I published my own books. And I could see what teachers were, were doing with not just my books, but other picture books in the classroom. And it just made me realize that, gosh, picture books are so much more, any kind of book is so much more than ink on paper. There's so much that teachers do with them. Um, so ever since sort of realizing that, I now, I now think about that. So when I'm creating a new picture book, I do think about how perhaps teachers can use it in the classroom. Yeah, because it's for teachers, it's a tool. It's not just... You yes. know, for parents, it is a sort of a, a tool for for pleasure and bonding, um, and and it is that in school as well. But yeah, it's a tool for opening up a whole world, and you know, it, it promotes good literacy. Even if you're looking at the illustrations and you're talking about the narrative and the story that's being created through those images, it's um, hugely hugely important. Particularly, I mean, I'm an English teacher. I'm going to say that, um, but for English, but for all subjects, for in cognition for understanding it's um yes, important yeah. things uh, really P people don't give enough credit grown-ups i think don't give enough credit to picture books sometimes i think they, they feel like they've grown out of the magic sadly. i know and that's, <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a shame really because i mean i picture books are for all ages and we, we all learn in different ways um, i would say that i'm more of a visual learner although I, I never would have called myself a visual learner when i was a kid i wouldn't have known what that really means but now i know that i respond more to visuals and you know um people do learn um from visuals so, you know many people uh, the visuals really do help and um and so that's something that i've kind of learned about myself and so I think picture books, illustrated books, whether they're aimed at whatever, you know, three to five year olds, there are picture books that are aimed at slightly older um, children. And there are lots of picture books that really are for anyone. They're, they're, there's sort of, you know, they, they could be used in any sort of, um, for any age group, I believe, you know.
Because yeah. a picture tells a thousand words and there's so much that can be taken, so much information there in a picture book. And it's, I think it's a really great thing to just, I don't know, just, um, I think, I mean, I, I, I love I love the art form of, of picture books and I love making them and I love how they are such a fun way and such a, such a, they can be such a powerful way to make a point or tell a story or maybe ask a question, you know. And um, did you love them just as much when you were at school, when you were little, when you started school? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. I I am um, I um, was raised in the states in New Mexico, so I've got very fond memories of the school library um, in Alamogordo, which is where I lived. Alamogordo Sierra Elementary School, um, and I remember so well the um, well the teachers and the, and the. It's, it's funny, isn't it? How like that was so, so many years ago, but I can really remember. I can remember that so vividly. The uh, yeah. The school library that out of every out of every room every space in that school it's the school library that i remember the most right down to the posters that right down to these i, I remember they would put competition entries and things on there whenever there was a school contest or whenever there was a an arty activity or it would all go in the school library um yeah so that's very telling uh, isn't it that that, that was your 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 strongest memory so what was school first like for you there and and when did you discover that you were colorblind well um I kind of feel like I've always known that um I'm colorblind some people um use the term color deficient the colorblindism is is that's how I describe my how I describe it when I talk about it um, but it's also good to know that some people prefer to use the term color vision deficient but I discovered I was I was colorblind um, well I was I was screened for colorblindness uh, at school in America um, when I was seven years old so I was shown that test it's the colorblind test which is called the Ishihara test and it's like a, there's like a, there are circles with there are circles with lots of colorful dots in them. So, and I was asked to, to, to tell, to, you know, to, to say what numbers I can see within those dots. And I could only see- Oh the, yes, I've seen, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And I, I could only see the first, the first number and then I couldn't see any other number after that. Um, and then the school nurse said that, um, what she said, she she said, I've got some news for you. And I kind of already knew what she was going to say because I already knew that I that I I'm no, I might be colorblind or that I'm probably colorblind because my older brother is, you know, he's colorblind. I've got uh three brothers and we're all colorblind. So I just I just kind of already knew because my mum had already picked up on the fact that I, I wasn't able to identify certain colours. So I kind of already knew that I probably was colourblind. But anyway, I remember being in the school in the nurse's um, room and her showing me this colourblind test and then her giving me the news. And I knew what she was going to say, but I didn't know the word. But she used a really long word beginning with D, which is um, deuteranopia, which is a form of colourblindness. But I didn't know that word back then. Um, and when she said it, I knew what it was. I knew what it meant. I knew it was colorblindness, but of course, I didn't. I never, I never had heard that word. Before. Sure, yeah. And um, and I can, and you know, I can actually, I can remember pretending to act a bit surprised or a bit. Just <laughs> so silly because I already knew I was. I already knew really? I probably. <laughs> but I really did that. I really, I, I remember doing that because I felt like she. I felt as if 
you know, um, she felt like she was delivering me this really important news um, that was going to really impact my life. And then I, I felt like I should give her a response. <laughs> so, and that was like, I was like seven years old. Oh. So I remember that so well. Um, but it, it does have an, it definitely has an impact. It has an impact on, on many things in life being, there are different kinds of color blindness. I've got the most okay. common form, um, which is that one there, dear, uh, can never pronounce it, um, diaturanopia, red, green color blindness. So and, is it uh, focused around red and green, your particular problem? Um, it's red and it's red green, but it's everything. It's all the colors with red and green in them. So, I mean, people are often surprised when I say, um, you know, that it's also purple, it's orange, it's pink, all the different variations of those colors, because it's anything with green in it, it's anything with red in it. So, you know, brown is made up of of green and red. So, brown is a is a color that I find really hard to to identify. Um, and purple, which is um, blue and red together, and purple, therefore, is a really hard color for me to identify. So if you were to put blue and purple together, I wouldn't really be able to tell which one is blue and which one's purple. Okay, so, so do you just see the, the, the parts of the color that are not red and green? Is, is or red and green just sort of like almost invisible? Is that how... You're... They're not invisible. They're, I do see. A, I see a tone. I, I, I can see the color. I can see a tone, but it's not. It's it's, you know, it's kind of hard to describe because it, imagine if imagine if suddenly, I don't know, we discovered a, another color, a brand new color, which which we'd never seen before, never heard of before, and suddenly you can tell you're an illustrator cover. because you came over very excited then. All right, really, <laughs> that would be amazing. Never a whole new. What would it be called? A whole bit. A whole new color. I just imagine that. I mean, there's this whole new color, and how? But that would be hard for people to comprehend. It would be hard for for anyone to comprehend what a whole new color would look like. Which is why it's kind of hard for me to explain to. Because I'm not saying that I see a whole new color. What I'm saying is that every most other people see all of the see the colors that I can't see. So it's it's kind of hard. For someone else to explain to me just how vivid those colors actually are in real life and it's equally difficult for me to explain just how i see them because i wouldn't necessarily describe what i see as dull because i still see colors but it's um it's just different i mean in the autumn i'm not able to see the changes in the trees i don't really see how the leaves change color in the autumn and when i look out in the garden and and a garden filled with lots of flowers, I probably only really see a few of those flowers um, because many of them will have hints of red or blue um, or green in them. And, and also, I only recently discovered this. Um, so I was, I showed, I, I showed a friend of mine, my, uh, um, and, well, it's um, on my phone. There's an app that you can download called the Color Vision Simulator. Um, and it will allow people to see um, see the world through the eyes of a colorblind person. So I was show. In fact, it was my mum. Come to think of it, we were sat there, and she was looking through this. I mean, she already. I mean, she, she knows. She already knows a lot, a lot about colorblindness, and we've had many discussions about it. You know, over the years. But I showed her this app, which she had already seen. But I was showing her. You know, what the what that what her garden looks like to me, and. Um, and she said, gosh, it, it kind of looks like it's always quite arid, quite dry. 
like the grass needs watering because I mean I know it has been quite arid and dry recently yeah. um, but it does but it looks like but it kind of looks like that to me all the time is that because but, the the vivid green is taken out of it when you see it yeah the green the green is taken out of it and you know and and also for example I'm, I, I find it hard to tell where the fruit is ripe ready to eat um and just lots of things. And what about driving, like a uh, like with the traffic lights? I know the sequence, and you know that I, 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 there's the sequence. You know, um, so I, I know when to stop and and when to go. But it's not because of the colours; it's because of the sequence and because you know because of that sequence. But I remember ages ago going to another country and um, seeing. Can't even quite remember where it was. Um, and the traffic light was horizontal, not vertical. Oh. And I wasn't actually driving. I wasn't driving. <laughs> I was thinking, gosh, if I'm if I if I, you know, if I was driving right now, I'd struggle because I'm, I'm used to it being vertical. I know the sequence, but when it was horizontal, it just threw me because I wasn't able to tell, you know, when to go or when I would have to stop. And do you also remember in the lockdowns when? supermarkets like Lidl and um I mean, yes. all, all, all the supermarkets yeah, I say they, that's they, the closest yeah um <laughs> I, they had the red and green and I never knew whether to go or not I never and I remember I remember um you know for for like like most other people um I didn't really go out shopping that much I kind of limited how, how often I would go out to do the shopping and I remember going out to do the shopping and that was quite a big deal in itself just going out to do shopping um and I got to the shop and they had this light the system the green and red light and I just thought oh my goodness I don't even know like it's it, everything is so serious of course this is when we're in a pandemic and we're all wearing masks and I don't want to like freak anybody out but do you know what it's that thing where you're already hyper aware of the situation and then there's the red and green and I was like oh no do I go and it's gosh that added layer of anxiety must have made it like quite a stressful but it sounds trip it out it sounds like um it sounds like it shouldn't be that big of a deal but little things like that can sometimes be quite problematic and I didn't know whether I could whether I should enter or not um so I so I just decided that whenever I would go to the supermarket I would just enter and then if I'm told off I'll just have to go out and and wait for the, the wait for it to change um so red and green can be quite problematic and um, unfortunately for for colorblind people um in the world that we live in red means stop warning you know it's it's you know it's stop it's an important for, color an important, yeah. yeah and and green normally means go but you know um, fully charged vacant like public toilets for example I never know whether it, it's it, it's empty so I always have to knock um because I don't want to try to open it and then discover it's locked because it looks like I'm trying to get in you know, yeah <laughs> they're awkward so um so yeah things like that and it does impact my it does impact my my um my role as an illustrator as well yeah so how does that work as an illustrator because I mean I I briefly mentioned in our intro today that we met and worked very briefly together on a National Literacy Trust project around the time of the Queen's Jubilee. And um, at the start of the event, I remember you holding up um, to the other people who were sort of working behind the scenes, um, holding up different reds and saying, can you just help me find which one is the, I think you said yeah. the brightest red or, um, yeah, and yeah. I thought, what, what? And then I realised, <laughs> of course, because I'd read that you were colourblind and you just needed a little bit of assistance. So how does it impact what you do as an illustrator? Well, um, every every new picture book project presents 
new challenges that do relate to my color blindness. So um, my first book, The Queen's Hat, um, is all in red, white, and blue and black. Those are the main colors in that book. Um, and I didn't, I didn't sort of, I didn't think to myself, right, I'm gonna, you know, this book is about the queen chasing her hat all around London. Uh, I'm going to make it like super British and use the Union Jack colors. Like that wasn't my train of thought when I was working on the book. I mean, the book was inspired, the, um, the story itself was inspired by a photograph I saw in a newspaper of the queen holding onto her hat on a windy day. And I imagine what would happen if the wind took her hat and where would it take the, her hat and what would happen? And that's where the story, that's how the story was born. But it, so I, so I started to work on the story and, um, and whenever it comes to illustrating things like, like, I don't know, certain scenes like grass and the sky and, and skin tones and the color of clothing and things like that, I just, sometimes it can, I, I don't know what to do or where to start. So with the Queen's hat, I decided to just to approach color a bit differently. I decided to actually just use very few colors. And I thought, well, what would be the best colors to use for this book? And Union Jack was the obvious choice because it's about London and it's about the Queen chasing her hat. So that for me was like an epiphany. I thought, well, I, you know, I can do this this way. I don't need to color the grass in green or the sky in blue. I can just use these few colors. So I did that. So the Queen's hat was in red, white, and blue and black. And the Queen's handbag, the sequel, also was in red, white, and blue and black, but the colors were reversed. And in the Mr. Panda books, all of the animals, every single one of the animals are um, black and white. And Please Mr. Panda is one of my is one of my most popular books. The Queen's hat is very popular here in the UK, but in but internationally, Mr. Panda is my most popular book. And at first glance, you'd look at it and think it looks like an, a, a nice colorful book. You, you wouldn't think, oh, well, that person, the illustrator hasn't used that many colors. Um, and it's because the, the panda's carrying colorful donuts. And I don't know what colors those donuts are. I just picked random colors. Um, but all the animals in those books are black and white. So I just, so that's what I do. I sort of, I think about the color before or kind of around about the time when I'm developing the story, I think of the color, like, how can I, how can I illustrate this? Like what's gonna work for me? Um, and then sometimes I get really stuck. Sometimes I, I, um, I commit to a project um, and I get stuck because I just think I can't do this. Like, I really can't, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what these colors are. Um, and that normally happens when I'm illustrating somebody else's work. Really? Because yeah, but, and that's why I haven't really illustrated that many books that I haven't written. It's, I, I, have, I, I tend to be quite selective because um, when I'm writing my own work and illustrating my own books, I'm, I, I feel like I'm in charge of like how I'm gonna approach it, like what colors I'm going to use, how those colors inform the story. Because uh, every, every, every color I use is intentional. There's like a reason for that color. And I have a very sort of strict palette um, otherwise, I get really confused very, very, very quickly. Um, so when I when I grow up, which was a book by Tim, uh, written by Tim Minchin, but that was based on the song from Matilda the Musical, came out a few years ago. That was my first time illustrating a full color book, and it was a huge learning curve. It really helped me to expand my comfort zone, and you know, I um, I realized, okay, I can use colors. It's going to take me longer um, than my usual approach but it's something I can do so yeah it does impact it does impact my my work and sometimes I might write a story 
and think to myself, I don't know if I'm the person that can illustrate this. I don't know if I'm the best person to illustrate it because this story that I've written, I think probably needs to have like loads of colors and um, and I don't know, quite painterly or whatever. Sometimes I can visualize it in my head and I realize that it might be difficult for me to get that vision in my head and, and to transfer and, what's up there to what's yes. on the page in the same exactly. in the same way. In the same wow. way. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Steve, I I'm hoping and expecting that the teachers listening to this show are who who might have a colorblind child on their new class list will be finding this just as interesting as I am and, and thinking about how they're going to best support those children moving forward. Um, we're just going to go to the news and uh, when we come back um, we're, we're going to talk more about how colour blindness might work for a child in the classroom and, and how we can, can best help them. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection, which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver in human language, your hub. Then there are walls, furniture, other devices, basically anything that gets in the way. So the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket they are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders allowing you to create a better wi-fi coverage in dark spots in your home at around 30 to 50 pounds it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home. Meshing is the next solution to improve coverage. More recently, homes have been adopting the mesh system. Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option, but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hello, welcome back from the news. Um, I'm still here with Steve Anthony, award-winning illustrator and author, who is also colourblind. And we're talking about um, discovering and supporting colourblindness um, in the classroom. We've we've just heard all about Steve's uh, incredible career and how he has not just overcome his colourblindness, but has found uh, ways to work with his colourblindness. So uh, welcome back, Steve. Thanks. Um, so, I mean, you... you you mentioned at the start of our interview the test that you you took whilst you were living in America and, and when you were a child that revealed um, the type of colourblindness that you had. So this is really interesting. I don't remember doing a test like that at school myself, but, but possibly I wouldn't remember because it obviously you know didn't reveal anything of interest for me. Um, is that a standard test for all children or, or is that standard in America or, or did you have to have that test because there were suspicions that you were colorblind? Um, it was standard in America. Um, there were no suspicions. I might be colorblind and that, that certainly wasn't the reason why um, I was tested. Um, every every child was was tested. Unfortunately, in the UK, um, children aren't tested for colorblindness and screening stopped in schools in the UK back in 2009, which is such a shame because there are going to be so many young people that are colorblind that have never been diagnosed with. And they might be really confused about that. Yeah, really, really confused. I, I, I feel I've, I, I'm really grateful for the fact that I knew I was color that I knew about my condition. You know, when I was younger, otherwise it would have been really confusing for me, especially because I know I am. You know, I'm an illustrator. I, when I was a child, I was very artistic and I liked to use the crayons and, and draw pictures. And I can remember um, this was, by the way, after my diagnosis in the States. I can remember being sat in the classroom drawing a picture and the teacher asked me, why did I color the sky in the wrong color? And um, I mean, it was she was I mean, it was because that must have been part of the assignment. We had to color in, you know, certain things, certain colors. And I did it wrong, and and she wasn't like horrible or anything. She wasn't really horrible to me. But I remember thinking, oh gosh, you know, um, I think that was one of my earliest memories of realizing that that I might face some challenges, you know, because of my color blindness. But children aren't um, screened for it here in the UK, and you know, and it's it's through no fault of any, and it's through no fault of the teachers, because I know that teachers would absolutely want to support their colorblind pupils if they knew that they had colorblind pupils and, you know, learners in the class. But, um, I mean, for example, I recently visited a school, a, a school um, to talk about this colorblind awareness campaign that that um, I'm doing with a nonprofit um, organization called Colorblind Awareness. 
um, we we went to this school to launch this campaign, and it was actually it was going back to the Queen's hat. It was to encourage it was to encourage children to redesign the Queen's hat, to colour in the Queen's hat, in whatever colours they want to colour colour in the hat, um, and then to use the app I mentioned earlier, the Colour Vision Simulator app, to see how the hat looks through the eyes of a colorblind person. So it was this campaign that we were launching and we were speaking to the head teacher and, and the head teacher said that he didn't know anything at all really much about um, colorblindness. He didn't realize that, and it's through no fault of his own. I mean, it's just, it, it, it kind of is what it is, unfortunately, because there isn't that, there, there isn't that much awareness out there of, of what colorblindness is or what it means to be colorblindness. And one in, one in every, um, there, there, statistically, there will be one colorblind person in every classroom. Oh, wow. That's quite a high statistic. Statistically, there will be poss possibly more. It's about 4.5% of the entire population. And um, it is mostly a genetic condition. I mean, there are other there are other ways that you can develop the condition, but it, it it's mostly genetic and it's passed down through um, a, a mother. So, so, so my mother would have passed down the colorblind gene to me and was she colorblind because i remember you saying that your brothers were all colorblind as well yes they they're all colorblind four of us and we're all colorblind she isn't colorblind it's less common so basically it's one in every 12 <clears throat> one in every 12 men are colorblind and one in every 200 women are colorblind so it is it is more common in men and it kind of does work out that as I said earlier, there will be at least one person in every classroom that is colorblind, and they probably won't even know it, um, which is a shame because so many because color is so can be so crucial when it comes to learning and development in schools, and it is one of those things that you kind of take for granted and you don't really think much about, and uh, things like color coding, and and graphs and maps like here's a list of all the things that colorblind people especially children are going to find really hard in in schools so color coding maps graphs charts um identifying certain objects um some educational games involve picking colors you know mm -hmm. choosing red color or the green whatever um sports can be quite problematic as well because um when it comes to things like um the clothing, the kits. Um, oh yeah, like if you you've got a, a red tabard and a green tabard to denote two different teams, that must yes. be difficult as well. Yeah, things like that, and it's something. It's, it's and it's something that understandably people don't really think about. Um, so I could be watching a football match and not being, and I may not be able to tell who's who, like which who I'm meant to be rooting for because I can't really <laughs> see the colours. That does happen, and. Um, yeah, so back 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 to the school setting. So things like that, and art is another thing as well. And um, and with this campaign that um, Colorblind Awareness and I have set up, we're really just wanting to encourage and to support teachers in in finding ways that they can support the colorblind pupils that are in their classrooms. Um, and because colorblind screening isn't happening. Um, a teacher won't know, you know, they won't know if there's a colorblind person, but there are things that teachers can do to make their classrooms more colorblind friendly. Okay. So one of the things um, that teachers can do, which, you know, is it's, um, it's probably the simplest thing I would say, 
Um, and if you don't have much time, I think the most effective, the most effective thing you can do is to label colors. So label, okay. label colors when it comes to um, sort of uh, felt tip pens, um, paint pots. Um, and if you are in a position in which you can order um, material, order, order materials, order color pencils and crayons, try to order them with labels on. I mean, many, many, especially nowadays, don't have labels on them. I mean, just recently I went to buy some colored pencils for, for an event that I did. Um, cause I, I always tend to leave things behind, right? So I'm constantly buying things for, <laughs> I'm like, why? I should already have, I should, I should already have <laughs> I went to buy some colored pencils for an event and um, and they weren't labeled. There were no labels whatsoever on these pencils, which is a real shame. And they were, and I didn't realize I kind of bought them in haste, ready for, you know, to go to an event. And um, so look out for pencils with labels on them because that will just make life yeah. a little easier. And also using, using symbols can help as well. Um, so... Like, for example, I know that a banana is yellow. Um, and although I may not be able to see the yellow of the banana, um, because it might be a bit green, like I said earlier, with regards to not knowing if food is quite ripe, if fruit yeah, is... Yeah, of course, yeah. But we know that a banana is yellow. We know that an orange piece of fruit is orange. And um, and a, a letter, a letter, a pillar box is red. So symbols like that can sometimes be used in a creative way in the classroom setting to to um sort of um and as opposed to color coding there are certain there are little things you can do just to tweak because i know some things many things are color coded but there are little things you can do just to tweak it slightly so that it's a bit more friendly towards colorblind people so if you're going to have something color coded with the yellow especially like in a reception setting let's say um or year one or year two then you could have like a little symbol of a banana or something yeah that makes perfect so, sense yeah just to know that it's yellow and it's things like that that really do make a big difference because it can be a great source of frustration um it, and it will and, it, and sadly it will affect a child's self-confidence and self-belief and and their and their motivation you know if um if they if they constantly feel as though they're um they're, they're not quite you know they're not getting it right and they, they're not sure yes. why yes yeah yeah, uh, yeah. It can be frustrating so if a teacher suspects one of their, their children one of their learners in you know if we talk sort of reception key stage one that that really those really early years um if they suspect a child is colorblind is there a route to to having screening i mean I, I know you said it's not done as a sort of a blanket screening in the uk anymore but can they still get screening for particular children? It's not, no, it's not done as a, um, a blanket screening. Um, there is the colorblind test, the um, Isha, Isha Hara test. Um, but Can that be administered not, sort of at school or does it well, need... It needs to be, in order to receive a diagnosis, it needs to be someone qualified to give that diagnosis as well, see? So, I mean, you can certainly, I mean, anyone can order one of these test books. Um, I, I, I don't think they're that, I, I, I think they're kind of pricey actually, which is a, a bit of a shame. I had a look just the other day and um, they're, they're, not, they're not cheap. Um, but so you, anyone can order one of those, but not anyone can diagnose somebody with color blindness. You know, yeah. it's such a shame that that screening isn't there. Um, that's a good question though. I, 
I wonder if I do wonder where else, you know, the best, the, the best, if any, anyone listening, any teachers listening that would like to know an answer to that question, the, and I'm not going to be able to give a very um, def, a, a definite answer to that, unfortunately, I would recommend going on to a website called colorblindawareness.org. Um, there's a lot of resources on that website. Um, it's, 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 um, it's, you know, there's so much information there. Um, it talks about the different kinds of colorblindness, how, you know, different ways in which you can support um, colorblind children. There's a really, really good video on there as well. Um, in fact, if you go into YouTube, and I think if you just type in something like colorblind awareness video, it, it will come up as one of the first um, results. It's a really good video of, um, of, of you know, it just points out all the different things that can be problematic in the school setting. And it's mm. a bit of an, it's a bit of an eye opener. Anyone can download the Color Vision Simulator app, which is free to download. Um, and that will allow people to see how colorblind people view the world. Um, and, and you can download onto a, onto any, <coughs> excuse me, any sort of any kind of smart device, um, like an iPad or smartphone. Sure. So, and that's that's really that's really quite useful. Um, if anything, it's um, it's a really useful tool for seeing just how different other people see the world. I mean, that in itself is quite a revelation for many people. So, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, so that that's it's it's really really useful. Okay, I I, I kind of think feel like there really isn't enough awareness is there because talking to you about this and I've I had in all of my teaching career I've never given any consideration to colorblindness whatsoever I feel like all teachers need to go and find that video and, and watch it and just have some very basic understanding of what it is um because like you say one in 12 men boys mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. a huge number that's that's a, that's a huge number of, of boys in every school that are going yeah, to be yeah. impacted by this yeah it's, it, that's so true and, and people that are people that are my age like the adults that I know that are colorblind like when we talk about it we um you know we kind of all agree that we have just learned to cope with being it with being colorblind I mean it is an impairment and but we were like we were fortunate is it a disability is it is it called a disability it's not I, I don't believe it's officially recognized legally as a disability but that is uh, you know I was just, just before this because I've, I've looked this up before and as I said I think the best place to go is that colorblindawareness.org website because just before our conversation I, ha I had a look online to check if it is a registered disability and there's a bit of a gray area um but it is it is uh, recognized as an impairment so um and it and it and it is and it is an impairment i mean i think that yeah there, there really isn't that much awareness out there when people find out that i'm colorblind if ever it comes up in conversation so when people find out that i'm colorblind sometimes it comes up in conversation um that one of the first things they ask me and and I, I I know it's coming like I know they're going to ask me this question almost everyone does and I'm so used to it that it's totally fine um the first thing they ask me is you know what color is my shirt or what color is what color am I what is this what color is that what color and it goes on like that and oh my goodness <laughs> I mean it's just like 
Um, and it's hard, like I was saying earlier on, how can you describe what you see? And so this, that's why this app is so brilliant. Now I just say, here, look at this app. And then, and they look through that app, the Color Vision Simulator app, and they're like, oh my gosh, you can't see that? Like, that's how, that's how you see it. And, um, you know, um, yeah, things, things, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, color. But you're sick of that, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, I might be an illustrator, but color. But I'm not very good at color coordinating clothes. And I can, like, I can laugh about these things. Like, I can, you know, it's, I can, I know, I can, you know, I, I, I know, I have friends who are also colorblind, and we can laugh about these things. But, but truthfully, I feel like, like I said, you know, we, we have, we have learned to cope. We were diagnosed with it. But I really feel for the children that and the adults, young adults now that were never diagnosed with it, but are living with color blindness and are struggling um, with it. And it is something that can affect you on a daily basis, depending on what you do, what your, you know, what your job is, um, uh, depending on, I know, all sorts of things, but it is something that can, can affect you. And, and sometimes these really uncomfortable situations arise like i mentioned earlier with the whole thing with the red and light go system on um on the shops during the pandemic and um and that's that's just one example and there are so many other examples um sometimes i come across books that have just been published and i can't read the title because the designer used something like a red like red letters on a on a maybe a green background or, or something like that and and i look at the book and i think if that designer if that author if that illustrator knew that you know like millions of people wouldn't be able to read that they would be mortified and they would want yeah. to know what they can do um to to avoid to avoid that um and with websites too um Sometimes I see, I read websites and there are certain things I just can't read because the designer chose to put red on a, I don't know, like a brown background or something. And also those pointer pens, you know, with the red dot. Oh yes. Um, I can never see that dot. Um, and I can, I can remember one of the first events I did. It's because it's red, it's tiny. And because I've got red green color blindness, I just can't see it. I remember the first event that I did um, at a school and there was a huge one, one of the first events and there was a huge screen behind me and I had one of those pointers and it was the Queen's hat, right? So it was spot the, we were playing spot the butler. So the butler is hidden on almost every page. And um, so we we're playing spot the butler in the Queen's hat. And I had this pointer to like to, to sort of sort of show them where the butler is. And I was looking at it thinking, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I should have thought I should have thought this through. <laughs> Because I said, can anyone see that red? And I was like, oh no, okay, I'm going to use a blue one in future. <laughs> blue Excellent. Um, Steve, this has been such a lovely conversation and so eye-opening and um and warm and informative and and i'm sure our listeners will have thoroughly enjoyed listening to this um but before you go i always ask the same question um who is your favorite teacher at school and why oh my gosh um that is not uh, that's not a hard question for me to answer um there are a few spring to mind but i've had to really choose one um from um the, the school in america because that's where i received most of my education it would be uh, mrs adams and she was my art teacher and it was just so fun i mean she she was so i uh, just uh, so creative and just full of flair and 
You know, I never forget when she said it's so important that she said when once you finished your illustration, once you finished your drawing, uh, sign it, sign, you know, sign it and and make sure people can read it, read, read your signature. And whenever I do school events and we, we I do a how to draw session um, and we all draw a picture, I always tell the, um, the, the, the children, even the really young ones that may perhaps can't write their name to just do a squiggle or just do something, just write your name. If you can't write it, then just draw something just to just to show that it's yours and that you did it. And that is one of the many things that she said that's really stuck. But also she um, she wrote, she she uh, was an author, she she wrote stories and she asked me to illustrate. I was going through a tough time, I remember this uh, one particular year and um, she and she was aware of that. And um, and she had written this story and she um, asked me to illustrate it so it's so like for lunchtime for example when I didn't really want to hang out in the cafeteria or whatever I would go into her classroom and and illustrate these pictures for her story and I I don't know what happened whatever happened to to that to that story but that meant a lot you know that really did mean a lot for me at that time mm. so the power of teachers yeah oh gosh it's Absolutely. lovely Absolutely. I, I always I always love asking this this question on the end of um my radio show because across the it's been over a year now that I've been hosting um but there's been such a, a broad range of of reasons but those reasons really all just boil down to someone taking the time um yes, to, yeah. to really think about what a child needs um yes. at that moment um so yeah absolutely lovely steve it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show thank you so much and um uh, for anyone listening i'll make sure on the teachers talk radio social media channels that we we find that colorblind awareness video and we share it so everyone gets um a chance to watch that before they go back to school thank you thank you so much wow wasn't that just a, a fab conversation um uh, thank you so much to steve for that so if you are starting back at school in a couple of weeks or if possibly if you're in um scotland you might have already been back for a little while uh, how's it going how do you think it's going to go what needs to happen in education color blindness is important you know it's, it's, the statistics are probably higher than we might have imagined before this conversation today but there are some really big factors at play in education at the moment. Now, next week on my show, um, I'm going to be discussing what people think needs to happen in education. And the reason I'm going to do this show is because after the A-level results day last week, I came across a post from Ben Fogel about the education system and I copied what he, I credited him for it, of course, tagged him into it. I copied his statement and shared it on my social media, Holly Kingman, Holly's Classroom. And it had 10,379 shares and counting. The comments are still popping up day on day on day. Everyone sharing their 10 pence of what needs to happen in education. Now, I'm just going to read you the post now because if it makes you cross or hopeful or have an idea of what you think should happen then maybe you need to get in touch with me about the show next week. Ben Fogel writes, 
Isn't it amazing that in 2022, in one of the most advanced, developed countries in the world, that our education system still distinguishes the difference between success and failure with a simple letter, A, B or C, or in my case, N and U. I failed my exams, but I'd argue that exams failed me. They crushed my spirit. Let me be clear, education and exam excellence are vital, and for those who plan to follow vocational work into the sciences or medicine, work hard and you will rise to the top of academia and become the next great doctor or scientist. But it is not one size fits all. We are not all destined to be physicists or brain surgeons. Learning and education are key in life, but our obsession with exams as a means of testing and qualifying an individual is as archaic as it is broken. There are some people who are better equipped at absorbing and cramming information and then regurgitating it on command. Exams are an unfair marker of our talent and ability because they assume that we are all the same. When I look at my children, I reflect on their personality, their kindness, their interest, their ability to interact, sociability, curiosity, thoughtfulness. We are so much more than an exam grade. For many years, my exam grades made me feel inadequate. I felt like a failure, despite my ability to excel and achieve in other areas. For me, the pressure of expectation at such a vulnerable part of my life crushed my spirit. I would prefer my children to learn the school of life. Rather than exams, I prefer to learn how to grow crops, cook healthily and do DIY. Real life skills. Exams instill a notion of competition too early. If you have failed your exams today, don't be too despondent. We live in a world where there is always another way. It is not survival of the smartest, but of the most versatile and resourceful. We want all-rounders. The key, of course, are the real heroes. The teachers. I was quite happy when he said that. (laughs) Underpaid and under-resourced. They should be the pillars of our community, teaching for life, not for league tables. The letter of our A-level results does not define you. It is your character that counts. Now, as I said, that post received 10,379 shares on my social media platform alone. And I know it's been shared widely. Lots of feedback, lots of comments. I want to know what you think needs to happen in education. You don't need to be a teacher. You don't need to be a leader in education. You can just be somebody who has an opinion. If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or by email. Um, and you'll find me, Holly Kingman, Holly's Classroom. You'll find me somewhere. Um, so next week, we'll be having that conversation. I'll be hearing from all sorts of people. And I am hoping to rope my husband in, who's a deputy head teacher, uh, to discuss some of the comments on that post. But for now, That's the end of my show this week, the end of the Thursday morning break with me, Holly King-Mand on Teachers Talk Radio. I look forward to seeing you bright and breezy next week, just before we go back to school. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.